You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rico Mohammed, and you are listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. Tonight, we have our special esteemed guest, Hank Seaton, will be joining us. He will be taking all of your transportation law questions. So if you have any questions surrounding the transportation industry, whether it be contract law, uh, any kind of litigation that you may have going on or things that you got you just may be curious about, tonight's the perfect opportunity for you to get a chance to get in and ask those questions and actually get solid, found, uh, uh, solid factual advice from a real live transportation attorney. So you can go ahead and press number one. We're going to try to go ahead and get as many calls in as we possibly can. Uh, we're going to try to get you screened in and get you up and on board so that you can talk to Hank. But before we get into that, just want to let everyone know we will be going over what we normally cover here. And we're going to start off as we normally do with the USDA truck, fruit and vegetable truck rate report. For the week of October 11th, this report just came out today. Um, we only have three markets that are showing slight shortages. Those three markets are Idaho, Merrill County, Oregon, Columbia Basin, Washington, Yakima Valley, Valley, Winchy District, Washington. Those are your three areas that are showing slight shortages. And we have three areas that are showing slight surpluses those three areas that are showing those slight surpluses of trucks, Mexico crossing through Nogales, Arizona, San Luis Valley, Colorado, and Minnesota, North Dakota, Red River Valley. Everywhere else on the report is actually showing adequate supplies of trucks in the spot market. There is a link up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page of this report. If you'd like to go there and check it out and look at the more in-depth information that is available on this report, there's a link provided for you there. You can go click on that link, and it'll take you directly to this report. Moving right along, jumping over to this week's DAT trend lines report. Rates were up last week, but volumes were down. Hurricane Matthew likely contributed to both with shippers paying more to move loads ahead of the storm and then locking everything down at the end of the week with a few, with a uh, lot fewer load postings on Friday before the storm actually hit. And van rates had gained six, $0.06 cents per mile as a national average, while reefer rates added only $0.01 cents per mile. Flatbed rates increased up to $0.04 cents per mile, and the inbound rate could move higher this week in hard-hit areas like the Carolinas. And I'll tell you right now, I am sitting in uh, North Carolina delivering a load up into one of the hit, hard-hit areas. Uh, portions of I-95 is still closed. Uh, had to 
kind of make a couple of detours and go some back roads to actually get up here to where I am. Uh, but they're, they they definitely got hit pretty hard up here in eastern North Carolina, central North Carolina, a lot of downed trees. And like I say, part of I-95, when, you, when I was coming up northbound on 95, was closed uh, and had to go across on 74 and take a couple of little back roads to actually get back around and jump back on 95, probably around the uh, 45-mile mark or somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, moving right along back to the DAT report, though, we're going to move into the van, U.S. van demand and capacity portion of this report for the week of October 2nd through October 8th. Van load postings declined by 7%. And truck postings increased by 2% last week, which caused the load-to-truck ratio to drop by 9%, down to 2.8 loads per truck. In spite of that, the national average van rate jumped $0.06 cents compared to the previous week. Also, national average price for diesel jumped by 2%. The national average rate for diesel is $2.44 per gallon. So let's move on and check into the U.S. van rates, how they performed across the country from October 2nd to October the 8th. A push to move freight ahead of the Hurricane Matthew contributed to $0.06 jump in the national van rate, which increased to $1.68 per mile last week. Outbound rates rose in Charlotte and Buffalo, but were down in Seattle. Taking that look across the country, we're starting off up in the northeastern portion of the United States. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checks in showing average spot market rates for dry vans at $1.68 per mile on average. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in showing an average rate of $1.83 per mile on average for spot market van freight. In the Midwest, Chicago, Illinois, showing $2.03 per mile on average for the spot market. Down in the south-central portion of the United States, bringing up the rear, Dallas, Texas, checking in, showing average rates at $1.50 per mile. And moving out west, the west coast, Los Angeles, the city of Angels, setting the benchmark for dry van spot market rates at $2.06 per mile. Jumping over into the U.S. flatbed demand capacity report for the week of October the 2nd through the 8th, flatbed load postings declined 6% and truck postings increased 1% last week. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to fall by 7%, down to 13.4 loads per truck. Despite that drop, the national average flatbed rate gained $0.04 cents per mile over last week. Moving into U.S. flatbed rate, national flatbed rate from the spot market for October 2nd through the 8th. Last week, the national average rate for flatbeds edged upward $0.04 cents to an average of $1.92 per mile, even though the load-to-truck ratio declined by 7%. So taking that look across the country, starting in the northeastern portion of the United States, 
checking in showing spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.91 per mile, setting the benchmark. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, flatbed spot market rates out of Atlanta, Georgia, show $1.99 per mile on average. Jumping up into the midwestern portion of the United States, Rock Island showing $2.17 per mile on average. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have Houston, Houston, Texas, checking in, showing average spot market rates of $2.05 per mile. Moving over to the west coast, Phoenix, Arizona, checking in, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds bringing up the rear at $1.67 per mile on average for flatbeds. And jumping over into the last portion of the report, the reefer, the national reefer demand and capacity portion of the report for October 2nd through the 8th. Reefer load postings declined by 4% last week. Truck postings increased by 3%. This resulted in a 7% decline in the load-to-truck ratio from six loads per truck down to 5.6 loads per truck. The national average spot market rate for reefers increased one cent compared to the previous week. So moving on to that rate information report for October 2nd through the 8th, the national average reefer rate increased one cent compared to the previous week up to an average of $1.92 per mile nationally. Reefer prices show gains in Green Bay and McAllen, Texas, but outbound rates slipped in the Los Angeles markets. So, taking a look from a regional perspective, starting in the northeastern portion, Elizabeth, New Jersey, showing average reefer rates at $1.75 per mile on the spot market. Moving down into the Southeast, we have Lakeland, Florida checking in, showing average reefer rates at $1.15 per mile. Moving into the Midwest, we have Green Bay, Wisconsin checking in, showing, uh, actually setting the benchmark for reefers at $2.74 per mile on average. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have McAllen, Texas, checking in, showing spot market rates of $1.79 per mile. And moving out to the West Coast, Fresno, California, checking in, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $1.86 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up this week's GAT Trend Lines report. There is also a link to this report over on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. So if you want to check that report out, you can mosey on over there and grab a copy of it for your viewing pleasure. And this week, jumping back into the uh, Bad and Ugly Broker Report, we caught you up last week. This week we have two new additions on this report. Those two new additions are Overland Express LLC. MC number is 515. Seven nine zero. Over $24,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Moving on to the next one, A&T Freight Services. Their MC number is 
they have over $69,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported to truckstop.com. They are considered to be an extreme risk. And, of course, uh, as everyone should be very well aware of right now, uh, they're still reporting Network FOB Inc. Um, They still have been receiving a very large volume of reports from people that are uh, not getting paid through these guys. They are also listing their freight forwarding MC number. That MC number is 001941. And also... They seem to be operating as Interlaw USA. Another MC number is 004677. So uh, their original MC number for the F Network FOB brokerage division is 292556. So, guys, just be make sure you're very uh, careful. Make sure you're doing your checks and balances before you pull loads for any of these people and you find yourself in a situation where you might need the services of our guest tonight, transportation attorney, Hank Seaton. And with that said, let's bring Hank on board and get him up with us. Hank, are you there? I am here, Rico. How are you? I'm doing well. I I understand that uh, we missed out on you last month. I know you were doing a little globe trotting and, and taking care of plenty of business, but we're glad to have you back on board with us tonight. Why don't you catch us up and tell us what's new in Frank and in, in, in Hank Seaton world? Oh well, uh, you know our friends at the at, at the federal government still seem to be um, turning loose uh, uh, listening sessions and changing things around. There's several uh, things we can talk about there that are interesting. Uh, one of the things I want to get into is the long-awaited book has finally been uh, uh, been published, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, also, uh, <clears throat> when you started tonight, uh, you mentioned the fresh fruit and vegetable uh, report. Uh, there is a, a bill that's being implemented uh, now by shippers and brokers uh, with respect to perishable foodstuffs. It's called the... Uh, uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, or FISMA, and that will affect uh, uh, listeners who are transporting uh, uh, perishable commodities, and uh, that may be a topic that someone on the line would like to ask about. I don't want to take up a lot of air time talking about it unless we uh, have people that are affected by FISMA, but uh, we're trying to work right now to come up with a, a protocol that is acceptable to both large and small carriers, which would uh, keep implementation of that act from just uh, really creating chaos in the industry. So we've got a whole bunch of things, uh, but uh, if you'd like, we can take some questions and maybe reserve some time at the end for me to talk about the new rules of the road book and uh, some of the things that are covered there. Absolutely, and everybody that is on the line, we got a we, we got a nice full call bank. I see. If you got questions, we got our screener standing by. My my young daughter Fatina should be standing by to take your call. Uh, go ahead and press number one if you have any questions or anything that you want to talk about. But while we're waiting on some people to jump in and take advantage of the opportunity to get in, uh, Hank, uh, you, you you kind of tweak my interest there because 
I am a refrigerator carrier, and uh, definitely, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and tap into that that portion of, of uh, bringing us up to speed on what we refrigerator carriers or anybody hauling food stuff may need to be aware of. Well, there has been about a three-year study by the Food and Drug Administration uh, requested by Congress to promulgate rules that would uh, cinch up the supply chain and be sure that uh, perishable commodities uh, with certain exclusions are uh, safe and sanitary. Uh, The uh, Ag Haulers Group... uh, uh, food manufacturers uh, uh, looked at it. Uh, the uh, FDA admitted it didn't know what it was doing and really listened pretty well. But the, the rules finally came out uh, in the spring and are beginning to be implemented by shippers this month. They'll be handed down to uh, the carriers next April. Uh, there is a carve-out in the rule that says that the rule will not apply to motor carriers who have uh, less than 500000 in gross revenue, which one might think would take care of people who have one or two trucks. But the fact of the matter is that uh, the shippers are basically going to insist compliance with the rule by all carriers they use. Uh, there have been a lot of webinars about this, and it w- became very apparent that uh, the, the shippers, brokers, and warehousemen uh, have the primary obligation for ensuring that uh, motor carriers uh, have, have clean equipment, uh, have the ability to, to download the, uh, uh, the reefer information, uh, and to uh, comply with a litany of delegated uh, responsibility. When it came down, uh, we saw very quickly that if the uh, every shipper came up with a different protocol and every broker in turn had to uh, uh, require one thing of RICO to haul a load of uh, watermelons, another thing of RICO if he was hauling a, a load of pumpkins, that it would be impossible for a small carrier to comply with different protocols. So we've been working for the uh, past uh, year with a group composed of warehousemen, uh, uh, carriers, both large and small, uh, some really large uh, uh, brokers, and some shippers to come up with a protocol which would establish the delegated responsibilities of carriers basically in one protocol so that, Rico, if you signed on, uh, to complying with that, uh, you could basically tell uh, the broker industry and the shipper industry, look, here's the way that uh, I secure the delegable uh, responsibilities and special orders upset me. Uh, uh, the real reason for that is one of the major broker, uh, one of the major uh, TMS systems said that unless uh, there was some kind of consistency. They thought it would literally take a computer for someone to uh, determine how they were going to serve each different company. So far, we've gotten very great acceptance uh, by our working committees to come up with 
uh, a, a standard protocol that hopefully we'll be able to announce in the next couple of weeks. And there are other uh, subcommittees that we've got working on such things as uh, uh, an arbitration program, uh, an inspection program, because uh, FISMA says that if a load uh, could be contaminated, it has to be inspected uh, uh, before it can be put in the supply chain. And we all know that all too frequently wholesale grocery houses just say, the temp isn't right, crush it and dump it. So we're really trying to come up with a, a way to uh, uh, certify uh, uh, foodstuff as uh, fit for human consumption when, you know, the back two pallets got hot in the Memphis sun type of situation. So this is kind of an initiative that, uh, you know, I'm involved in uh, uh, to maybe no good deed will go unpunished, but this is certainly a good deed if we can uh, manage to uh, get consensus uh, in the industry of what duties a, a carrier, large or small, has to fulfill. Uh, my real concern was that uh, otherwise it's going to have a negative drag on a small carrier being able to get qualified in the spot market uh, because uh, unless... Uh, you can point to a protocol in your participation in it. I think it's just going to uh, uh, force uh, brokers and shippers to uh, to larger carriers with more established uh, protocols. I've done a lot of talking. Hopefully, uh, uh, Rico, you can respond to that and ask me some questions, and I'll try to fill in some of the gaps in what I've said. Well, some of the situation, some of the stuff that you are saying, a couple of things kind of drew made my antennas go up a little bit. Um, so basically, I know that there are a lot of one-truck Charlies out here and maybe having a little bit of older equipment and may not have the capability to, uh, with a reefer, per se, that, that has downloadable equipment. And I've even seen a lot of fleets, uh, a lot of the maybe like the chicken fleets, uh, different chicken hauler fleets that have a, a lot of the older equipment and may not have the capabilities of, of a plug-in uh, to be able to do a, do a download or anything like that for reefers, uh, how does that affect older equipment or, or is this another attempt to also force uh, everybody to go out and, and upgrade, uh, spend more money to go and upgrade to, to have a compliant, quote-unquote, compliant equipment? Yeah, I think I think the fact uh, when you talk about the one and two truck Charlies that the FDA recognized that that could be a problem. We actually scrubbed the database from the FMCSA to find out based upon numbers and sizes uh, how many carriers were really uh, small or under the uh, $500,000 requirement that operated refrigerated freight. And uh, uh, probably it's not surprising to anyone, there were 41,000 carriers and uh, 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 probably 90% of those people were under the $500,000 in revenue limit. So those carriers uh, certainly will not have to uh, uh, comply with the, uh, with the act and may not be able to. Um, I think over time that will 
place them really at a competitive disadvantage because this act will establish uh, 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 obligations on the shippers and brokers to ensure that the, the supply chain is uh, is secure, uh, albeit somebody gets uh, gets sick. And you know, we really uh, this is this. In a way, this is this is sad because we have a very safe supply chain. We really didn't need these regulations to begin with, but Congress thought otherwise. Uh, I think those who don't have uh, reefers that are possible uh, are capable of uh, maintaining the uh, uh, the constant temperature and making it available upon request. Uh, will probably find over time that their access to to freight is, is somewhat limited. I think those who, who do have uh, <coughs> compliant reefer technology, uh, <coughs> hopefully with our program, will uh, be able to uh, to compete on equal footing with the uh, the large carriers. And then, of course, the other issue is I think the fragility of the commodity will uh, uh, make a, a, a large difference. I mean, some, uh, particularly with respect to produce, some things are far more perishable than others. So obviously some, uh, uh, some shippers will, will be more concerned about using carriers under the exemption than others. Uh, what, we're, what we're looking at doing is if uh, any of the listeners uh, are involved with it, the UIA, which is a common protocol for uh, uh, Draymon to uh, to sign in order to get access to uh, uh, steamship line boxes and containers, we're looking at something kind of similar to that. That would certainly be voluntary, but it would uh, uh, hopefully heighten the visibility of carriers who uh, who can uh, uh, comply and. Uh, and, you know, you raise a good question about uh, uh, the useful life of a reefer and uh, uh, what kind of specs will be necessary to comply. Uh, our protocol is uh, is going to say that uh, you've got three options. You, uh, I think if you uh, must comply, uh, you've got to have a reefer that's able to download the ambient temperature of the reefer during transit. Uh, but you got to get those records and keep them and provide them upon request. Um, and, you know, heck, you can even charge a fee for that. But uh, uh, some of the shippers are going to want an enhancement to the point that they want you to be able to download it at time of delivery or whatever. And we thought that was a bridge too far to put in the standard protocol. Well, even like... Um... I know that even like a lot of shippers, well, I'm not going to say a lot of them, but you do have a lot of most of your produce shippers, they already put the, uh, you know, the tattletale device, the, the temperature uh, reader devices, they already put that in with the uh, with the load. Uh, and, and, and we don't necessarily, as motor carriers, I don't, we don't necessarily have access to that uh, information on the other end. Unless there's unless there may be a problem or something that comes up, but uh, would that would that be sufficient or how does all that stuff you know the nuts and bolts of that? Well, I I, I think that if I think if they put a tattletale with a with the load uh, and that uh, 
that satisfies their itch to be able to demonstrate that they fulfill their obligations, then certainly with the under five, that would be something uh, 500,000 would be something that, uh, you know, you would want to emphasize rather than going out and buying a a compliant reefer. Uh, and uh, frankly, we haven't, uh, uh, we haven't addressed that yet. I spoke at a, uh, at a convention in, uh, in Canada and there were a lot of, uh, of Canadian produce types there. Uh, and, uh, they all seem to be very concerned about uh, the FISMA rules, and uh, uh, it was suggested that a lot of the major shippers are already drafting their their protocols. Now, whether they will uh, uh, cut small people a break and use the tattletales is a certainly good input. And, uh, you know... Um, if you're willing to do it, my friend. I'll put you on. I'll put you on the committee, and we'll uh, uh, we'll see if that needs to be addressed. One of the things that we have been trying to rely upon to be sure that the uh, uh, small carriers were not uh, being uh, left out of the process is uh, the ag haulers group is, has been consulted and is uh, is working with us. And of course, those members tend to be smaller. Um, than uh, you know what you'd say are the uh, the large fleets that have uh, maybe newer equipment. Absolutely. Okay, my screen kind of went blank for a second. Let me make sure that uh, we had somebody. I think we had someone that was wanting to ask a question, but I gotta refresh my page here mm -hmm. and see if I'm. Uh, Okay, they they didn't have a question apparently, but we got a bunch of people on the line. So if anybody on the line that has a question for Hank Seaton, transportation law, any kind of questions, contract questions, um, feel free. Go ahead and press number one. We'd love to have you up and on board. I mean, we got a full call bank. Uh, don't let me take up all the time and ask all of the questions. I, I'd be more than glad to, but we definitely want like to get. Your, your questions in and get some of your uh, concerns addressed. And remember, uh, I get a lot of questions offline. Some people uh, shoot me different questions and stuff, and I'm not actually on Facebook right now to see uh, any questions that are coming in. But um, there's no such thing as a dumb question, and we're all here to learn, and no one's going to look down upon you. You know, if you, have a, if you have a legitimate question, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime, I'm not going to say once-in-a-lifetime, but a once-in-a-month opportunity. We'll put it that way. It's a once-in-a-month opportunity to get a chance to talk to Hank and get him up uh, here to spend a little bit of his free time with us to take your questions. And you're not talking to someone that stayed at a Holiday Inn last night and that, that that's telling you what they think about transportation law. We have an actual bona fide one of the top transportation attorneys in the industry uh, taking time out of his schedule to be here with us. So let's make sure that we take full advantage of it, you guys. And with that being said as well, if you got any questions while we're waiting on those to come in, Hank mentioned that he had the book was completed. Uh, we have a link to the page where you can go and order the book, and um, we have a link of that. We'll be posting that link a little bit later on at the end of the show for that link, and we're going to have some uh, a, a special discount code to go along with that. So when you get ready to order that book to put it into your 
your your two your toolbox, you know, another tool to add to your toolbox. You will have a discount code specifically for all of you guys if you put it in to get you a little bit of a discount, a little break on the book. And we definitely appreciate Hank for thinking about us uh, and, and offering us that discount code. So back to the other thing, back to the to, to the, the the upcoming pending situation with the food stuff haulers. What should, if someone wants to be proactive, a small guy wants to be proactive about getting ahead of the curve on this stuff, Hank, what are some of the things that that we might need to be aware of right now to uh, maybe begin to implement? What are some best practices to, to kind of that you would well, think would keep uh, us in the safe I zone? Can tell you, I, can, I, I can give you a, a, a brief survey of uh, some of the delegable responsibilities that the, the carrier will ultimately be assuming. Uh, things like uh, uh, warranting uh, uh, the previous use of the trailer for the sanitation and cleanliness of the trailer. Uh, some of my larger clients say that they expect that the uh, that the shippers will require washouts uh, uh, maybe uh, before each pickup or have special protocols for that because trailer cleanliness is going to be uh, one of the key issues. Uh, also, uh, this idea of the downloadable reefer uh, uh, and keeping the, the temperature straight will be an issue. I think that could very easily be a blessing to the industry uh, because uh, uh, certainly if you can demonstrate that you maintain the ambient temperature during transit, I think you'll be able to uh, say it won't my fault. Uh, the other issue is uh, uh, probably the load confirmation sheet will be the uh, the place. I'd like to push it upstream to the time of booking for uh, any uh, addition to the protocol in terms of, uh, of pre-cooling the trailer because uh, that's an issue. Uh, the act will uh, finally do away, I think, with this uh, crazy notion that if the seal is not intact, the load must be destroyed, particularly if uh, in conjunction with the warehouseman and other people, we can find a way to, uh, at uh, no significant cost, uh, have possibly distressed merchandise examined by a third-party neutral, and that is... Uh, that is something that I really think would be a benefit. I get far too many calls uh, uh, from people who uh, uh, are being abused by uh, uh, grocery houses. I had one today, for example, in which uh, uh, the client was a day late delivering of all things uh, bottled water which is really not even subject to the act because because it's shelf-ready. And, in fact, uh, the wholesale grocery house said, uh, uh, we're, we're rejecting it, but we'll give you an appointment in two weeks. And this particular carrier was actually able to set down the load. And when it went back in two weeks, the wholesale grocery said, the bottled water has been in the back of the truck too long. Uh, now you've got to destroy it. That kind of abuse is something that 
uh, hopefully the, the protocol and the new act will make clear that uh, uh, shippers can't just simply uh, 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 break every claim over the rear end of the small carrier because, as we know, you don't have insurance for that. So uh, Wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. Hey, I, I want to stop you for just a second. I want to go back. They, the carrier had the, they, they made an appointment two weeks from the day that he was going, that he was trying to attempt to make delivery, and then he came back, and then they wanted to reject the entire load. Was that a spot market yeah. move? And, and, and uh, there was a, there wow. Was a, there was there was a broker involved. Uh, somehow, somehow the broker's always involved. Uh, the broker said, "Take this load delivered in Louisville on the 22nd." Uh, a truck broke down. He told the broker, "I'm going to get there at the 23rd." The broker said he set an appointment. Guy shows up on the 23rd. Grocery house says, I don't have any appointment. Your load's rejected. The next time I'll give you an appointment is in two weeks. The carrier protested like like the devil, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, set, the, set the, uh, the, the trailer down in a lot he had in Louisville, went back in two weeks. At that time, the, the, the uh, wholesale grocery said, well, not only do you not have an appointment, but uh, the water, now realize this is bottled water, uh, has been contaminated because it's been in a trailer too long. Now, you know, I think that is an absolutely ludicrous issue, but now we're having to deal with uh, uh, reject it, crush it, and dump it, uh, and it's certainly my argument that the uh, the, the grocery house uh, – should have taken that load on the 23rd and uh, that their failure to do so means uh, the problem is theirs, not my carriers. But as as we all know, uh, uh, unless you have an arbitration program or some way to resolve that, uh, it just becomes uh, a difficult situation. As one might imagine, the, the broker is, uh, is claiming no responsibility in the, in the mess and there needs to be some way to come out of all this so we can say, all right, we're not going to make a year-long lawsuit uh, over this, but uh, I can say, look, Mr. Wholesale Grocery House, it's your problem. We're going to go to mediation over it. We're not going to pay your claim. And moreover, we're going to have this load of water inspected. For what reason, I don't know, but at least to certify that it's fit for human consumption and then, unless you accept it and exonerate us from the claim, uh, from the claim, uh, you know, we'll at least uh, uh, give it to to a shelter and take the deduction. But your claim is denied. So that's the way we'd handle the claim. Uh, the problem is, uh, uh, you know, unless we get some kind of protocol to resolve it, all too often those kinds of loads just get broken over the broker or the carrier, and that's wrong. Uh, it's just plain wrong. So, using that scenario, maybe take us, go a little bit deeper with this a little bit, because I think that, you know, um, uh, everything goes hunky-dory when you got a load and you pick it up and everything goes as planned. But now we're in the weeds a little bit. And I think this is what gets people, you know, this is what 
a lot of people are, are unaware of and, and, and don't necessarily know what they're getting themselves into when when things that don't necessarily go as planned, um, what can happen? You know, kind of the dark side of, of the the whole being a motor carrier. Um, can you yeah, play that I scenario out you know, a little bit further for us? I didn't. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to uh, uh, make that into a segue into the book. But one of the things in the book that I've got is called handling bumps in the road, and one of the things is cargo claims, and uh, you know what this would would tell anybody who bought it is look uh if you go to make a delivery and some consignee tells you uh come back in two weeks uh you don't have to sit around for two weeks uh you can tell him look uh you need to unload me uh today because i didn't agree to sit on this load for two weeks and if you can't work me in by talking with the broker then I'm going to put out an on-hand notice that says that you wrongfully rejected this, and I'll send the on-hand notice to the consignee, to the consignor, and to the broker, and then I'm not going to sit around for two weeks. I'm going to put this load in the warehouse, and you're going to start paying warehouse charges on it because uh, all too frequently uh, the uh, carrier doesn't know what to do or it surrendered its rights and all of a sudden it's got a, a perishable shipment riding around in the back of a truck, or it's being told by the broker, uh, uh, look, they rejected it because uh, uh, the back pallet determined it was hot, and uh, because they, it's branded product, they're going to crush it, and you're going to buy the whole truckload. Well, uh, there are ways to push back against that, but all too frequently small carriers don't know and all too frequently, small carriers sign contracts they don't read. And uh, this particular issue that I'm, I'm mentioning, and in the refrigerated industry, is probably the biggest claims issue that I handle for small carriers. And, uh, you know, I would say my office gets one or two of these a week. So, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, one of the things that's led me to try to use these new FDA rules to come up with some way to, in a business-like fashion, determine whether or not product is fit for human consumption and its salvage value with the, with the goal that, you know, let's say it's, I don't mean to pick on anybody, but let's say it's a, a, a branded product for Publix. And Publix says, uh, oh, well, uh, we've made the decision that we don't want anybody to uh, uh, eat any of our product where a seal's been broken. Well, you know, that may be fine for them, but destroy the product on their dime if it turns out that it's uh, perfectly fit for human consumption and doesn't have any deterioration in value. Uh, the, the reason I say that is because uh, uh, the refrigerated carriers on the line are probably going to uniformly recognize that they only get coverage to the extent of the damage and then only when there's reefer breakdown. And that coverage, insurance coverage, is far short of what a produce broker or a, a shipper can try to jam onto a carrier for reject it, crush it, or dump it. 
got you. I got another whole other thing of questioning that I want. I, I wanted to got try to go down, but we got a caller that's got a question. Let's go ahead and try to get that caller in. Let's grab Timothy. Timothy, you're up and on board with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Uh, yes. How are your gentlemen doing this evening? Doing fine. Timothy. We are well. Yourself? I'm doing. I'm doing. Uh, Pretty good. This is a very interesting conversation y'all got going here. Um, I, I'm a first time caller, by the way. A little nervous, so uh, I, I run a refrigerator, and, and my question would be: Is there any type of protocol toward um, like the the shippers and consignees that? Because uh, well, I guess you know nowadays you have like multi drop stops and. I'm not going to say no names, but it starts with a W. They they set you up in a door for like four or five hours, and your doors are open. And you get their product off, but who's to say when you get to your next destination, that product has not been contaminated from the ambient temperature leaking inside the trailer while you've been held hostage for five to six hours? Um Who's at fault with that right there, and how how could you possibly prove that other than maybe um, the technology that you were talking about earlier with the uh, being able to read the uh, the reefer right there? Well, Great you know, you you have got you you have just hit on one of the one of the the first problems as a young lawyer I had to deal with forty years ago, which. Uh, uh, I was in, I was in Memphis with a refrigerated carrier, and he got a call from uh, told me to pick on him, but I think it was probably Kroger or somebody. I, and uh, the the driver said uh, called up and said, "Boss, they're rejecting the whole load, but they've had the door open here for three hours, and it's a hundred degrees, and the ice cream yeah. is melting as quick as they can take it off the truck." So, right. uh, you know. Uh, it, it's very clear that uh, uh, we've always fought the thing about. Uh, uh, hopefully, if it's backed into if it's backed into the door and the ambient temperature inside the uh, the warehouse is right, uh, you may just lose the back skids. But the large fight has always been over the 22 pallets that are high and tight with the reefer running inside. Uh, the right. issue you mentioned is certainly. Uh, a realistic one uh, th- that uh, uh, you know prolonged uh, opening of the door can contaminate not just the, the load on the tail but the <coughs> second and third one. And I, I think with the uh, the new temp requirements, uh, uh, you know, you ought to be able, and these people need to realize that when you open the doors it should be at the time they're prepared to unload it. Uh, yes. Particularly if, uh, particularly if it's being unloaded in an open dock, which I'll, I'll give you another example of a real-life case that I got in the past week. Uh, got a, I've got a client who uh, uh, was uh, called by a, uh, a customs broker and said, I need you to boogie out to uh, uh, the uh, uh, Detroit airport and pick up uh, an inbound truckload shipment of uh, uh, 
something like mushroom caps. Anyway, it was supposed to be a temperature-controlled shipment, and uh, the, the carrier didn't get out there uh, timely. It was just a foobar, but the uh, uh, refrigerated product sat on an open dock for five days until people realized it had been a missed pickup. So now the uh, the shipper wants my client to eat the whole claim, and uh, my <laughs> argument it, my argument in response is, hey, my guy may have missed the pickup, but you set that damn stuff on an open dock uh, during July uh, for ten days, and nobody said, hey, what about refrigerating this? So under this new Food Safety Modernization Act, the shipper had a non-delegable duty to be sure that it was in a temperature-controlled environment, so we're denying the cargo claim. And uh, <laughs> what we're saying is, whose dock did you leave that on? And under CARMAC, we may have failed to make the pickup, but how in the world can you say it sat on an open dock for 10 days and that its deterioration in value wasn't the result of your error and failing to see that it was temperature-controlled during that period of time? So as you see, this thing can be paid in multiple in multiple fashions, and in that case, I think the Food Safety Modernization Act helps me because the way it's worded, it's ultimately the shipper responsibility to be sure that it has protective service throughout the uh, the supply chain. Uh, and you know, I would uh, I would say that uh, if it were the act or omission of the uh, consignor or consignee that caused the deterioration in the product, then then let him answer for it. Right. I, I know uh, the the one thing I wish that, that we could probably get implemented, I know a lot of places that I go and, and pick up some of the places I deliver to, they, they have the docks that allow them to open the doors from inside the building. That way, um, you know, when they're ready to unload you, they can just open the doors and unload you, and that way you don't have all that um, the air getting inside. Because I get in uh, arguments with WalMarts and the like because I refuse to open my doors until they are ready to unload the product, and I I get a lot of flack for that, but I make them have to walk outside and let me know when they go, they're ready to unload me because. Uh, I take that cargo claim stuff very seriously because the deductibles on the insurance today is ridiculous. It's not even it's not even funny. <laughs> well, I think what you say is uh, uh, is, is is thoughtful and correct. Uh, uh, I think Rico has got up my email. Uh, I, I would appreciate you sending that note to me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we're working very close with the refrigerated warehouses, which understand that they have uh, responsibility, and they're coming up with their own protocol for handling refrigerated commodities. And I'd be more than happy to take back to them, because uh, uh, what we're trying to do is establish best practices, but to come up for a receiver's best practice, uh, which says that... Uh, uh, the carrier shall not be required to uh, open the doors until uh, immediate unloading is performed uh, because you're absolutely right that uh, that is a, a problem that needs to be solved by best practices. And 
when you have got a, uh, uh, a an abusive practice by uh, someone that doesn't want to walk out and say open the doors, uh, and at the end of the day you're going to contaminate potentially not only uh, his stop off but uh, every other load in there. Then then I think uh, I think the consignee should have a best practice to address that as well. Uh, please send it to me. Uh, uh, so that it's not something I forget because I, I will table that. Uh, the the warehousemen have uh, their protocols together, and this is the, the coal supply chain warehousemen who uh, I think represent best practices, and they're vendors. They're, not, uh, uh, they're typically not uh, the wholesale groceries who can be tend to be more arrogant. But uh, right. you've got a good point, and... Uh, you know there should be a a understanding uh that uh, the duty to ensure that uh, the load is uh, delivered in spec uh has to be honored by not requiring it to be open in the hot uh, uh memphis sun so <laughs> I, well, I, 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 you, a lot a lot of times as well one of the things that that um you you kind of run into with some of these bigger companies when you're trying to keep the integrity of a shipment intact and everything like that. You run into a lot of pushback. People saying, you know, you get a little flat. But, I mean, I've seen some places go as far as to, um, well, what's your name? What's, the, what's your company name? We're going to ban you from our facilities just because you're trying to uphold a, a um, the integrity of making sure that the, the, the product that you are the custodian of is being is being uh, that you know you're keeping everything intact like it's supposed to be. But there are some bigger companies that will go as far as you know you know I, I guess um, the word that I'm looking for you know bullying you to a degree to making you uh, submit right. to the way that they want it, want you to do it. Right. Well, uh, you know, you know it, I, it's it, it's good I, that I you brought that up long... because. If you go down to any of the border states down there, and I'm sure you know the ones I'm talking about, uh, if they see their practices right there and they wonder why uh, probably 70% of their stuff gets rejected, when it comes across the border, it's not even refrigerated. The doors are wide open on the trucks, and they just they cross-docking from, you know, from their trucks to, to yours. And uh, they hate to see me because I'm standing there with my little laser gun and, if that pallet ain't pre-cooled to a, a determined temperature right there, it's not going on my truck. I just, I'm sorry. I, I don't, uh, I, I'm not out, I'm out here to, to run a business, not just give away my money. Right. Well, you know, I, I, I certainly agree with you that uh, uh, we're, we're going to have to be shrewder, particularly in terms of the state of the product at time of pickup. Now, one of the other thing about this Food Safety Modernization Act is that any party in possession of the goods along the supply chain is uh, uh, is kind of uh, obligated to to claim foul and not move it on down the road if they have a reason to believe that it may be contaminated. So uh, I think that in a way uh, bolsters you. Uh, if you uh, if you are asked to pick up a shipment that's not pre-cooled, and you know that because of the inherent vice that you can't uh, get it in round so that it's uh, 
it's going to be rejected at Consignee, uh, then, you know, I think uh, you can say, hey, Bubba, uh, you know, uh, I will, I will, I will mark this as as contaminated, or possibly uh, a defective, and take it to your consignee. But uh, I'm sure not going to accept it without a proper notification, uh, because uh, uh, I question whether or not this is going to be fit for human consumption, and it's not my fault. Uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think you're going to have to be shrewder about that as a result of uh, of of what we're talking about. But I, I really do want to drive home that uh, the whole purpose of the, of these rules is to uh, be sure that there aren't these gaps in supply chains and uh, a, a, a cover-up uh, about uh, uh, contaminated product. Another thing is uh, it's going to take an education for us to figure out what's subject to... Uh, the FDA rules and what isn't. Any food stuff that uh, is uh, self-contained and what they call shelf-ready, i.e. not perishable, is not governed by uh, uh, any uh, 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 meat, eggs, and uh, 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 are, not, are not governed because they're subject to, uh, you know, existing USDA inspection requirements. So, uh, I think that what we'll end up with is kind of a, a common protocol that will be the fallback uh, uh, position. But uh, I'm particularly interested in seeing that small refrigerated carriers have a seat at the table when we're talking about making up uh, um, some kind of protocol. And uh, I think we've we've hit on something that... Uh, I can certainly affirm is is a problem. Uh, you know, ordinarily a reefer uh, will not uh, bring up temperature or take temperature down. So, uh, right. you know, this old idea of uh, we can't put you on the dock because we're afraid our tow motor will run over you, so you just sit here uh, and, and wait until we put the seal on your trailer – uh, begets the fact that, you know, your terms and conditions have to be shipper load and count constantly unload, and then uh, you may very well have to use your own reefer to, uh, after the fact, demonstrate that the stuff must have been loaded hot or it uh, it sure in the hell couldn't go from uh, 56 degrees to uh, 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 to 75 unless the ambient temperature of the product was uh, up around 80 and, you know, uh, there's, there's going to be a real need, and then we've got a committee working on this, a real need to find people who, who know enough about produce uh, to be able to get it inspected in real time. It doesn't do any good if you've got a rejected load in Louisville and it takes four days to find somebody to inspect it because you need to get it inspected and get it if it is fit, get it get it sold and take it back over there and get it unloaded to mitigate the damages in, in real time. Absolutely. And uh man, an hour just flew by already. Timothy, thanks for the call. Um we before we get up out of here, uh I, I allowed it for a little bit more time tonight just to make sure that we got everything recorded on the podcast for people that are coming back listening to the recorded session. So 
we're not going to get cut off right at the top of the hour. But um wanted to take out that line of questioning just a little bit further, Hank, if, uh, and and then after that we want to try to um, want to go into the book a little bit more and, and, and get on up out of here. But um, if, if uh, real world question, someone sent me a text message. If you got a if you got a load, you're doing well with a broker, and and you uh, the the appointment changes like the scenario that you got that you that you laid out before. Uh, is it really worth Going through um, all of the, the 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 points that you laid out for a one thousand dollar load, or is it better just to go ahead and just take your you know um, get the load off so that you can keep moving versus having your equipment tied up for two weeks? You know, because it, it, it was they were saying that, and the, the the real world the reality is that most small carriers um, are don't necessarily have the rule circulars in place and that they are just signing the uh the the, the uh, broker's contract so therefore they are in a situation to where they 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 have waived all the because basically most uh broker contracts basically have you waive all of your rights yeah uh, uh, the majority of them do um what what do you say to that question uh I say that if you sign uh, uh, one of these abusive contracts that says that you waive your right to salvage and that the shipper is solely responsible and can have you reject, crush, or dump a load, then you're playing with thirty to $40,000 on an average truckload that's uninsured. And if there's any small carrier on here who thinks he can he can take that kind of lump and that the load is worth it, then be my guest. But uh, uh, if you sign one of these contracts that says that, uh, uh, you know, you uh, uh, bend over and rape me and I won't report it, then uh, I'm sorry I can't help you. Uh, uh, There's just no, uh, uh, I just can't fix stupid. Uh, And, you know, there are some some brokers who are slick uh, tongue devils that say, oh, that we'll never do that. But a lot of them end up being the agent for uh, uh, agent only, and the, the loss is going to be broken over them. And they sing a different tune when the, uh, the grocery house closes the door. Uh, I, you know, it's not very popular when these guys lawyer up and I send the letter to the, to the broker, to the customer, and to the consignee that says we have this stuff on hand, it's been inspected, it's fit for human consumption. Uh, If you direct us to destroy it, we'll do, but this is to let you know we're going to deny the claim. Uh, You know, it's it's an aggressive position, but uh, would I do it if if it were only two skids? Maybe I kick the dirt off my feet and go on, but I can't let a small carrier just say, well, I got screwed out of thirty thousand uh, dollars. I guess I'll learn my lesson. So, uh, you know, I, I take a more aggressive position on it. Uh, now, you know, you may you may have to make a business decision that says, well, gee, uh, uh, this this broker is ninety percent of my business, uh, and this is the first claim I've gotten two years. Uh, so uh, I'll make it up on the hindmost. Then that's fine, but. Uh, uh, you know, usually the carrier has to be 
larger than that. Because, you know, look, if you're factoring your receivables and all of a sudden uh, you've gotten, uh, you know, $40,000 worth of, uh, of freight uh, charges that you've already spent, and all of a sudden Mr. Big Broker just withholds that money uh, and uh, hands you the dump receipt, uh, that's a spiral of death for small folks. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just saying you're not powerless. Uh, I agree you can't let the stuff ride around in the truck for three weeks, uh, and that's why we're trying to work uh, uh, very uh, uh, swiftly to provide for an inspector. But you can very well, if you're not getting any cooperation from the broker or the consignee saying, look, you, here's, your, here's your notice. If you don't provide for inspection and, uh, and disposition, I'm going to find a commercial warehouse to put this in, and then we can argue over the condition of the product later. Uh, uh, that's the way that, uh, you know, my larger clients would handle this uh, to a man. Um, and uh, unfortunately, there seems to be a sense of defeatism by small carriers that you don't have that right. You've got to lean well, on uh, the good if it's wrongfully rejected. Yeah, what you don't you don't know what you don't know is what I always tell people. You you really don't know what you don't know. And and in, and in order for you to learn what you need to know, you know, perfect segue. Hank's new book, Rules of the Road. We uh, I have the link posted up on the website. Have the uh, discount code there for you to use to get a 20% discount when you place your order for the book, I recommend that you go ahead and make sure that you get this book expeditiously. Go ahead and put this into your toolbox. Um, the, 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 I'm, I'm on the web page right now, and Hank goes over a litany of things. If you already have his uh, previous book, Protecting Motor Carriers' Interest in Contracts, you know the type of information that Hank puts out. He doesn't cut corners. He's a straight shooter, as you can hear right here on the podcast every month. But uh, he definitely um, he has things in here for motor carriers pertaining to freight contracts, the bill of lading, terms of service terms and conditions, uh, owner-operator contracts, insurance policies that you need to be aware of, factoring agreements, freight charges and collections, cargo claims, customer bankruptcies. So that's just a few of the things that he covers. Uh, also, useful resources that are, that are included with the book, the standard bill of uh, truckload bill of ladings. There's a sample shipper carrier contract, a sample broker carrier contract, an outline of items to include in your carrier ser uh, service terms and conditions, a comprehensive list of statutory and regulation, uh, regulatory citations, and an extensive glossary of terms. And, and what I mean with glossary of terms is, uh, for us layman's people, most of the times when you're dealing with law, law has words in law have different meanings than uh, regular words that you may normally think of. You may think of when you're saying something in a, in a normal term, you think it may mean one thing, but under the color of law, it could have a, 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 a totally different uh, definition attached to it. And Hank, maybe you can expand upon that a little bit more. Uh, yeah, that's just there are lots, lots of times somebody will use. Lots of times somebody will use a term uh, that 
that that you don't know, and this this gives you an opportunity to do it. But I think probably uh, uh, I just turned uh, to the topic we're talking about tonight. I'm going to read you uh, a, a couple of, uh, of paragraphs out of the book, uh, which uh, uh, for those of you who say, oh, heck, I'm just going to have to take it in the ear because uh, Mr. Big Grocery House rejected it. I've got, I'll read you what I put about on-hand notice. When a consignee rejects a ship and a destination, either rightly or wrongly, the burden shifts to the carrier to dispose of the product. The carrier should immediately notify its customer and the consignor that the shipment has been rejected and state the reasons for the rejection. This is best accomplished by issuing all parties an on-hand notice that establishes the time and place of rejection and the consignee's stated reason for not accepting the load. The carrier should notify its insurer and have the cargo inspected while it's in its possession, if at all possible. The best outcome is to persuade the consignee to accept delivery and get the product inspected before intervening damages occur or disposition is made. The carrier has the right to place wrongfully rejected product in storage following notice, converting its liability for subsequent injury from CARMAC, which is unlimited liability, to that of a warehouseman. The carrier can ill afford to leave rejected merchandise on the truck or allow salvageable product to deteriorate. The carrier should notify all parties that the shipment will be placed in storage in reasonably short order and the storage charges will accrue. The delivering carrier has a statutory lien for its freight charges and warehouse charges resulting from wrongful rejection. Now, hopefully what I read is pretty easy to understand and isn't written in such uh, legalese that you can't get from that when it's wrongfully rejected and you know damn well the load doesn't smell and uh, that it's just a broken seal or the back two skids, this is, this is what is a, a, a best practice. The next provision in the book goes into contractual waivers of the duty to mitigate and says don't sign anything that says that perfectly good product can be destroyed at your expense without being inspected because ultimately your insurance company is going to, if they're going to cover the loss, is only going to pay you to the extent that the product is not uh, uh, is not salvageable. So I guess what I'm the the point I'm trying to make is uh, uh, Rico knows I worked on this book for a long time, but the intent was to be able to give you something that you can hold in your hand and research fairly quickly when these kinds of problems occur, uh, and you know obviously then know what your rights are before uh, uh, before these problems are OBE'd or overtaken by events. If you just merely say, well, I'll take it back to the consignor at my expense and uh, he'll give me a burn certificate, then, you know, there's nothing I can do. Mm. Mm. Well, Hank, we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and, and, and discuss this with us. Like I said, the link to the book uh, is up, and as well, you might while you're on the website, it's, it's going to go take you to Transcomplier's website. Uh, I was just taking a look around on that a little bit before the show. Uh, you might want to make sure that you go and subscribe to that, and also like them on Facebook, so that you can try to get uh get up to date information that, that they put out 
when they publish it out, you come directly to your news feed if you go and like them on Facebook as well. Uh, Hank, anything that you would like to say before we close out completely? Anything you want to add uh, no, to what we've already there, discussed? There's, a, there, there, there's another, uh, as you will see if you go to the TransComply website, uh, TransComply is a program that uh, uh, is more than the book, and it's uh, uh, designed to uh, keep small carriers uh, in the know in terms of, of safety regulations, uh, uh, give them a, 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 a forum. Uh, uh, you know, we're getting into an era uh, of somebody's moving our cheese. It's kind of hard to know from one week to the next uh, uh, where, the, where the bureaucrats are taking us, uh, where the Department of Labor is taking us. And uh, obviously after uh, the second week in November, uh, it's probably only going to get worse, not better. So uh, it, it, it may be something that uh, is of, of use to small carriers. I think it is because uh, obviously we're going to have to juggle compliance with safety regulations and uh, uh, state laws and a whole uh, planity of things that uh, uh, you're going to need help keeping up with. And that's why we tried to start this, this trans comply. Again, it's, it's focused at coming alongside small carriers who frankly can't afford J.J. Keller and some of the uh, 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 the programs uh, that are available to the large truckers. You know, they have to join a state association or something to uh, to uh, get up to, up to date on this. So I think particularly as we get into telemetrics and its use and all of these other uh, new things that maybe TransComply uh, is going to be something you're going to want to look at as well. Absolutely. So definitely mm -hmm. go check out the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for your link to go to the page on TransComply where you can order the book. The discount code that is on there is RICO, R-I-C-O, 2016. That's RICO, R-I-C-O, 2016. That gets you a 20% discount at checkout. Um, Hank, it sounded like I cut you off there. Did you have something else that you wanted to add? No, no. Uh, that, that's all I've got for tonight. Uh, uh, I appreciate the, the discussion and hope that the caller will uh, send me a little uh, a little note on that uh, uh, open door issue because uh, uh, that's something I've seen and, and we need to include that in the protocol. I'll talk to the to the warehousemen about it. I think uh, they'll be on board with it, but it, it it is an abusive practice and it needs to end. Definitely. I'll put a reminder. I'll shoot you a reminder on that tonight myself, the multi-stop uh, multi door open issue uh, when you're delivering temperature control product. Okay. And that with that said, Yes, sir. Thank you again, Hank, for taking time out to join us here on the Rates and Lanes podcast. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, this has been the Rates and Lanes podcast with Hank Seaton. Uh, once again, go to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page to get your copy of Hank's new book. It's over 300 pages, Rules of the Road. Go to the Rates and Lanes Facebook page, check that out. Click on that, use the discount code to get your 20% discount at checkout. 
and we will see you guys and talk with you guys, God willing, next week. We want to thank everyone that helped make this show possible. Kevin Rutherford, Lisa Rutherford, the entire Les Truck team, and also my young daughter that's back in Atlanta, Georgia, screening phone calls. Miss Fatina, we appreciate you for your help with screening the phone calls. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. God bless you. Keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise, and we'll talk to you next week. God bless everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.